Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, I had an entire rant ready to go. It was cooked up and plated all about Marquise Chris and his flagrant illegal defense from the other night. He was trying to 2.9 where you jump in the key and jump out of the key, but his internal clock was just completely shattered. I don't know if it was a daylight savings time issue or what it was. Uh, I was ready to sort of break down the intricacies of that play, you know, over the course of about five minutes. However, I had a rare moment of self-awareness, Andrew. Uh-huh. I realized that no nobody wants to listen to that. They want to hear you <laughs> talk mess about the Wizards-Celtics game on Thursday night, which was really like the Jersey Shore TV show of NBA games. I mean, just gloriously trashy in all aspects somehow Washington comes out on top I mean the floor is yours you know take it away well yes it was it was an emotional roller coaster but I feel like I should also congratulate you for spending your time with the Phoenix Suns I know you're not a college basketball guy but I think the Suns are the closest thing the NBA has to a college basketball team and it really makes me happy knowing that this is how you're spending the, the dog days of the NBA season just like up close analyzing Marquise Chris's defensive rotations. Uh, we, we should talk more about the Suns later in the pod because there's a lot going on with that team right now. But stick to the script, Andrew. I mean, enough wind up here. Come on, get after these Celtics fans. Everybody wants it. I want it. People are frothing. I saw the emails last night from Open Floor Globe. They're saying, Andrew, get after these Celtics fans. Washington did it again. I mean, we don't have to worry about the seven injuries for Boston. Just skip right over that part. Just get to the trash talk. Yeah, I have no trash talk to offer. Are you kidding me? That game was embarrassing for Wizards fans. Like, and, And honestly... The worst part about it was that it was all super predictable. I mean, the second that the Celtics Twitter tweeted out their starters at about like 5.30 in the afternoon yesterday, the Celtics were starting Terry Rozier, Aaron Baines, Tatum, and like three D or two D leaguers. Like it was just, it was really bad. And, and the second I saw that I was like, okay, great. So this is one of those games where Brad Stevens is going to like coach them up the Wizards were on a back-to-back. They had just blown a game to the Timberwolves the night before, and I was positive that it was going to end badly. I actually texted some friends, I'm going to lose my mind when the when the Wizards lose this game tonight. And uh, sure enough, the Wizards were down 20, like halfway through the first half. And from there, you know, a lot of hijinks ensued. Um, and I was almost positive that Jason Tatum was going to break my heart, and to be fair, I absolutely deserve Jason Tatum beating my favorite team after all the shit we've talked over the last year, and he's been great. But um, but thankfully, Jody Meeks, my guy Sadoransky, Otto Porter, Bradley Beal had like 25 points in the second half. The Wizards salvaged a little bit of dignity last night. Still not a great sign that they had to go to double overtime to beat the Celtics <laughs> JV yeah. team. But, you know, I'll take the victories wherever I can get them. There were no great signs that game. A couple of thoughts for what you said. First of all, I was waiting for the Boston media to leak out that Jerry Colangelo had texted Jason Tatum after the game to let him know that 
don't worry, just because he bricked that game-winning free throw and just because he missed the three at the end of overtime doesn't affect his Hall of Fame eligibility. He's still able to be enshrined in Springfield, just to kind of ease his nerves and and show the respect to 12-time. We didn't get that report for some reason. Second of all, your point about like the zombie Celtics lineup inspiring fear is so dead on. That's how you know Brad Stevens is starting to get into that like upper echelon of coaches like right next to Popovich because you know, the Spurs were the kings of doing that for you know 15 solid years. It's just running out their third unit and still finding a way to beat you. Uh, Boston was like right there on the edge of being able to do it. But you called the Suns uh, the college basketball team. I thought that Wizards Celtics had the ultimate college basketball scenario there when they traded botched inbounds plays. You know, Sadoransky comes up with the steal and then immediately Washington just like throws it right back on the inbounds play. Anytime you're trading possession twice in a matter of two seconds uh, because you simply can't inbound the basketball is a sign that you're not quite operating on a normal NBA level. And that's where that game was at. Yeah, well, you mentioned Stevens. And look, enough has been said praising Brad Stevens over the years. I will just say this. You really, he doesn't make you feel good about your own coach. And I think that's probably true for like (laughs) 20 different teams around the league. It's certainly true of the Wizards. I can say that. There were a lot of head-scratcher decisions down the stretch over the final minutes in the fourth quarter and then again in overtime and like the wizards did their very best to lose that game uh hey andrew (laughs) let me stop you right there one second i we need to work on some of these uh these words that you choose because previously you'll say we and that always bugs me because you're throwing me into the conversation. And here you just said Brad Stevens doesn't make you feel good about your coach. Andrew, the word that you're usually looking for in both situations <laughs> is I or me. In your case, what you need to be saying here is Brad Stevens doesn't make me feel good about my coach, Scott Brooks. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah. Well, look, I was living a nightmare for most of that game, and it was a good preview of what the NBA playoffs will feel like. It, it I hadn't really felt that way since last year's Celtics series. Um, so, you know, it was a nice adventure. And, and shout out to Marcus Morris for blowing the defensive assignment on Jody Meeks. I feel like that would would ordinarily be an asterisk, except that Markeith Morris fouled Kyrie when the Celtics were playing in D.C. and gave them gave Boston the win in that game. So I feel like that was sort of the universe even evening things out, and so I appreciated that. If anyone hasn't seen the slow motion replay, just watch Greg Monroe's reaction to Jody Meeks getting wide open, the one place that you weren't supposed to let him open. At the one time you're not supposed to let him open, he just acts completely horrified. It's, you know, rewatchable uh, to an endless degree. I mean, he just, he looks mortified by the decision uh, made by Marcus Morris. And that's not the first time those words have probably been put together in the same sentence. Uh, but. <laughs> You know what, though? You're you're absolutely right that that was the closest the NBA will come to like a March Madness game. And I'm glad. Welcome to March Madness, everyone. Celtics Wizards or, or Wizards versus the Celtics G League team, the, the Red Claws. Um, but I'm glad that I'm glad that the Wizards survived. And it's time to get into it. Uh, we have a lot of other questions to get through today. And uh, I, I kind of like where we are in the NBA season because right now. The playoff picture is still in flux, so it's kind of dangerous to read too much into like the status quo we have now, and we're just kind of waiting for everything to settle, 
And so in the meantime, we've got a lot of room to sort of go bigger picture, talk about nonsense, and just have fun with it. I, I like the, the, the dog days of the NBA season. Yeah, that's a good spin on it because the dog days in previous years have always flummoxed us. Like, we don't know what to do. We just have the same conversations over and over. We tend to get angry that the teams aren't taking the games as seriously as we're taking our analysis. So you're right to just flip this on its head. It's a great mental awareness exercise. Embrace the challenge, Andrew, and, you know, turn to our... Uh, amazing community of emailers at openfloormail at gmail.com who came through in a big time way again this week with all sorts of awesome questions. Let's get to it. Yeah. Well, and to be clear, when I talk about the dog days, I like even going back to the podcast earlier this week, when we did 20 minutes on LeBron and his free agency, it felt like the, the like 10th time we've had that conversation. And like halfway through my eyes were rolling over and I was just like, I, I can't, Keep doing this. So now it's time to turn over a new leaf. So Miguel, he says, you guys requested questions from around the world. I am a listener in Spain, and he asks, can the two of you take care of the undecided, unaffiliated NBA fans in the open floor globe community and carefully pick us a nice team to root for? I don't want the best team. We don't want to be jumping on bandwagons like simple-minded opportunists. I also don't want the worst team, please. Just give me a team that has moderate short-term upside, but might end up being good. We want to aspire to things someday. So do you have any nominations here? It's a, it's kind of a complicated question. There are a lot of factors yeah. to consider. And we also, we get this question like once a month. So I'm, I'm glad we're finally addressing it. Yes. Well, before we get to our nominations, let's talk philosophy here, Andrew, because we get this question all the time. I mean- dozens of times over the last year easily. Mm-hmm. It's an honor and a privilege. I'm just not totally sure I'm comfortable with the responsibility that people are asking of us, Andrew. I think... Well, I mean, it's it's difficult for you because it's, it's requiring you to use a part of your brain that doesn't totally exist. You don't really think like a fan, but that's part of why I like it. It's forcing you to stretch and grow, get outside your comfort zone. You know, it's not even that. It's more like... And I hate to channel every hacky marketing slogan that's going on right now, which is like, be bold, be a creator, innovate, think freely. Like (laughs) people are just bombarded with that. But it's sort of like with Jordans, like I don't want other people to like Jordans because I like Jordans. I want them to like Jordans because they like Jordans. You know what I mean? So we could try to sit up here and say, hey, you should follow uh, XYZ team following his very careful criteria for what he was looking for. But it feels like we're forcing it upon him. He should make his own decision. And here's the thing, Andrew. I think that we have cultivated an entire world of fishermen. You know, we've taught people how to fish. We're not just (laughs) flinging fish at them and saying, eat dinner. So my first comment in all seriousness to Miguel is, Miguel, we have educated you on the NBA if you've listened for uh, a fairly long time here. Granted, it might not be a Harvard PhD education, but we've gotten you through a GED program, which is a high school equivalency here in America. You are ready to pick your own team. And so that that would be my first nomination for Miguel. But I have uh, an actual nomination if you want that too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, that would have been the ultimate cop-out answer is to tell Miguel to figure it out on his own. So who, who would you choose? I think the purest form of sort of Everything that is encompassed in being an NBA fan in the modern era right now, it's the Bucks. Probably doesn't surprise you that I say mm. that because I talk about them all the time. But think about it. They've got a superstar who who inspires uh, you know worldwide acclaim. 
They're all about the highlights. You can catch up with them, even if you're living thousands of miles away. They've got this heartwarming recovery story of Jabari. Here he comes back on the court. They had the thrill of firing kid. You know, if you're a fan, you really love that. Uh, you got the great bump right afterwards. And then you also got the the painful doses of reality. You know, the slow regression back to the mean after the Joe Prunty, you know, proves not to be, you know, the next Greg Popovich. Uh, you also have hanging over the whole franchise the foreboding future of Giannis in terms of can this stranded star, you know, get his, uh, you know, teammates aligned around him well enough to keep him or are they going to lose him? Like the the single franchise that kind of distills everything about being a modern fan in the NBA right now to me is the Bucks. It also happens to fit his criteria for, you know, you're not quite a bandwagon fan if you're hopping on the Bucks at this point compared to like the Warriors or the yeah. Rockets. Uh, so that would be the number one recommendation I'd have. Uh, and I guess my big question from that though, is you're probably too late if you're just hopping on the bucks right now, because the last couple of years has been, have been pretty wild ride. And then second Giannis, I mean, at some point he definitely could leave and then you're completely stuck. So it goes back to the philosophy for me. Should we be recommending teams and franchises, uh, that fans pick you know, based on, you know, the fact that they're stuck in certain markets or they're stuck with certain ownership groups or they're stuck with kind of lame front office guys? Right. Or should we just be recommending young stars that they root for? What do you think? Well, look, this is tricky because we have a lot of ties to the Bucks community. And I, I mean, you and I have been champions of Giannis Inc. Uh, for the better part of the last two years. We, we clearly want the best for that team. But I would not recommend anyone else around the world jumping on the Bucks bandwagon at this moment in time. And you, t- you talk about them distilling what it means to be a modern basketball fan. And I think part of that is definitely like the dread of Giannis's looming yeah. free agency. And that's not a good thing. Exactly. I, I wouldn't tell anyone unaffiliated to buy into that. I feel like the Bucks are like a year out from just having that perpetual panic about what Giannis is going to do and how they can build around okay. him. So. But slow it down. Isn't that part of being a fan, though? I mean, don't you kind of love the Wizards because you deep down hate the Wizards? I mean, is, you know, like, they, <laughs> yes. like isn't, so, the, yes. isn't the pain part of the process? I mean, isn't that what we're trying to recommend to people? It's funny you should say that because I thought about recommending the Wizards. I mean, Brad, Brad Beal is pretty young. John Wall is in his prime and, like, theoretically good. Uh, I've, I'm starting to talk myself back into Wall. Just we'll get there at some point. But I, I can't in good conscience recommend that someone else invest their emotional equity in this team. It's just, it, it's not a good idea. And the same is true for the Bucks for a lot of the same reasons, actually. There have been so many mistakes made over the last few years that there's a ceiling on how good they can be over the next few years. And so while I wish the best to every Bucks fan I know, and certainly to Giannis, I'm I'm out on on the Bucks next few years. Um, although maybe the okay, so maybe a new coach comes in and shakes things up and start like I don't know why Giannis isn't playing the five like seventy five percent of the time. That's a simple fix that could could work with a with a new coach. But uh, for now, I would I would be more cautious as far as Milwaukee's concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think they still have some upside potential just because uh, Giannis's age, the fact that they could play so much faster next year, they they really could stylistically overhaul if they got a new coach, and that would make them more exciting and probably better. I mean, almost certainly better. And like you said, they could turn the small ball more often, which is always fun. But now that you've 
torn apart my idea for some of the sa- for some of the same reasons why I nominated it, by the way. What are your suggestions to people? Okay. Well, this is something that I think about a lot. And in part, as you can attest, I'll, I'll text you during Wizards games and be like, I hate this team. I need to pick a new favorite team, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I... The Heat have always been a team that uh. I admire from afar because they play really hard. They've got like eight guys that would be fun to root for. They uh, and they're in South Florida, so like it's not unreasonable to dream about them signing a superstar free agent a year or two down the line. It's a little it's a little tricky though right now, just because like the, that waiters deal still makes no sense. There's just not enough upside to where I would really recommend like in 2017 or 2018 to to buy into Miami as as it stands but I do like I'm I'm more jealous of Heat fans than probably any team in the league yeah I think if you're gonna go that route you might as well just kind of go with the Spurs you know I mean the the steadiness the organizational structure I mean you don't have the flash of South Beach okay but you you have uh, a longer track record of excellence and they're not a super sexy team right now I mean they might not even make the playoffs so now is the time to get into the Spurs culture they're they're certainly looking for new members they're not on like the Scientology on the sidewalks trying to recruit people quite yet (laughs) but you know (laughs) the doors are open for Spurs Nation no First of all, the Spurs are headed in the wrong direction, okay? The the Heat have already had that dip and are, are sort of like coming back to life as we speak. The Spurs are going to have like a couple dark years in the near future, I, I would expect. And second of all, while I see your point about culture and infrastructure and teams playing hard, rooting for the Heat is much cooler than rooting for the goddamn Spurs, <laughs> with all nah. due respect to everything you value as a basketball fan. So the Heat is one nomination. Well, hey, hold on a second, though. Let's do a quick fact check, because you said the Spurs are going the wrong direction and the Heat are rising. Just so we're clear, San Antonio still has a better record than Miami and plays in a tougher conference. So, you know, it's all relative. I mean, the Spurs off year is better than your favorite team's best year. So just <laughs> That's true. That's keep, true. Keep it, keep it real. I'll let you have that. That's fine. Um, my other nominations are, I, I thought about the Blazers, but the Blazers are kind of in that buck zone where there have already been so many mistakes made that there are limits on how good they can be. But as someone who has loved watching Portland over the years on league pass at 1am, like you can't go wrong buying into the Damian Lillard experience. Um, So that's, that's certainly one to keep on the table. And then Utah is, is another one that I think deserves serious consideration, particularly for people around the world, because like Someone in America might say, oh, Utah is just kind of like a small market. They're never on TV. But like if you're already watching from Spain or Germany or something like you're watching online, the, the times are going to be at all sorts of weird times during the day. And uh, and you don't it's all it's all the same to you. It doesn't matter that Utah is a small market or whatever. And Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are going to be awesome for the next four or five years. And I think this is a, this is a great time to buy in, even even right now. Like they may they may end up like the fourth or fifth seed in the West in a couple of weeks. So just buy in right now. Everything you said about market and, you know, getting in the young guys and the core and sort of growing with them because you don't you don't have the regional affiliation was similar reasons why I was actually going to mention the Nuggets uh, for almost 
you know, all those same ideas. Like if you like Jamal Murray and Jokic, like you can grow with those guys for the next couple of years. They're going to be entertaining and fun to watch, you know, basically no matter what, how much they win, you know, we'll see. But uh, at least, you know, you're going to get, you know what you're going to get and it's going to be better than what it is currently based on their age curves. But this brings me back to my point, Andrew, is like, why tie yourself to the Jazz? Why not just be a Donovan Mitchell fan? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why not just say I'm a Ben I'm a Ben Simmons fan, and if he lives leaves the Sixers in seven years, or if Mitchell leaves the Jazz in, in eight years, or whatever it might be, uh, I'm just going to go follow his journey the whole way. I mean, I think if I was completely unaffiliated, you know, in other words, I was not tied to any organization because of my family's ties or where I grew up or where I went to college or whatever, I personally would not trust or put my trust in ownership groups or maybe the organization's going to get, you know, relocated or I have to, you know, put up with a GM's decision making or a team like Utah's inability to really recruit good free agents. All that stuff would just annoy me. I think I would strip it back. I'd be sort of like that mom in Japan that was profiled by uh, the Wall Street Journal where she just became like a Russell Westbrook diehard and just embraced the thunder. And now she's drawing pictures of Russell Westbrook after every single game and they're going crazy viral on Instagram. That would be my mentality if I was an international basketball fan. And, uh, you know, if, you know, uh, the guy who you latch onto happens to be a superstar and he stays with the same organization for 20 years, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of Mavericks fans in Germany right now, right? Yeah. Then that's all well and good. But if the guy jumps ship like Kevin Durant did or like LeBron did or whoever, you don't get into this weird situation where you're trying to root for like Kyrie and Dion waiters in in 2012 and (laughs) trying to talk yourself into like those Cavaliers teams, you know, why bother? That's fair. I mean, that, the smartest approach to NBA fandom is definitely to to keep it liberated and unaffiliated and just latch on to to a handful of great players that you like watching every night. But as you said, there's there's a certain charm to living and dying with a team despite all their stupid mistakes. And uh, yeah, Utah, it's it's like getting in on the Damian Lillard experience, but before all the Blazers mistakes so like the Jazz have a pretty clean slate right now and uh this can go a lot of different directions I still somehow I want I want Jabari Parker to end up there uh, but one more nomination and this is probably the the most sincerest advice I have and it it may be cheating for this question because he said he doesn't want to be jumping on a bandwagon like a simple-minded opportunist and really there's no way to become a Lakers fan without looking like a shithead bandwagoner and uh particularly in america it may be different around the world so it may be different rules apply in germany or spain however i love watching the lakers right now in fact during that Wizards celtics game like the only thing i kept telling myself is like all right well if the wizards blow this game i'm gonna officially become a lakers fan and just root for them root for them to beat the warriors later tonight and it's gonna be fine and uh but more generally they are in a great spot right now and this this is one of the rare windows throughout the last 40 years where you could jump onto the lakers without looking like a completely shameless like bandwagoner i kind of hear you but i think that if you're worried about bandwagon people judging you for your fandom you can never become a lakers fan because the lakers fans have generations like 
going back so far. Like you could say, oh yeah, you know, I'm a Lakers fan because of Magic. And you're going to get someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm a Lakers fan because of Mikan before they were <laughs> even in Los Angeles. You know, like that's the way that franchise is because they've been winning for so long and they've been famous for so long that there's always going to be someone who could kind of like one up you. And so you know, that's why I was, my original advice was just, you know, follow whatever team you like. If you if you happen to like the new and improved Julius Randle, if you're all about Brandon Ingram, then sure, be a Lakers fan. Don't worry about, you know, the the 75-year-old uh, diehard who's got, you know, all the MPLS jerseys from, you know, 1950. You know, don't worry about that guy. But you're going to face a huge backlash anytime you meet, like, yeah, the quote-unquote you know real you Lakers it. fans. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's like what becoming I'm a so, Cowboys fan. Even if the even if the Cowboys are like seven and nine, you can't just latch on to being a Cowboys fan. Which I, I'm saying this as someone who bandwagoned the Cowboys at like at eight years old or six years old or something, and then had to just spend the re- the next like thirty years of my life being called a shameless bandwagoner and and basically treated like your average Duke basketball New York Yankees fan. So it. You don't want that. However, I think that I I think the the more general point is that this current version of the Lakers is so much fun. And can you at least agree with me on yes. that? No, that's a totally different thing. I mean, I'm I'm saying don't try to jump on the Lakers bandwagon unnecessarily because if you're worried about these factors, they are going to be huge issues. <laughs> they but are real concerns. If you just if you want to watch a team that's funny to watch right now, both for basketball reasons and for, you know, other reasons, the Lakers are absolutely in the mix. I mean, nothing makes me laugh more than Isaiah Thomas coaching his teammates up and the level to which they, you know, the the lengths to which they go to (laughs) pretend they're listening, but not absorb anything he's saying. Andrew, you're always saying about how you tune me out on the podcast. So I've become, you know, very aware of this in my daily life when people are tuning me out, when person A is tuning somebody else out. Uh, you know, you see it all the time when you're actually looking for it. You know where you really see it? On the Lakers sidelines and in their huddles where Isaiah is trying to coach up Julius Randle or like tell Brooke Lopez what to do or like really instruct Lonzo Ball, you know, the the, uh, the future point guard of the Lakers and all these guys just nodding along like, sure, Isaiah, sure. Tell us some more about that amazing season you had in Boston. Sure, let's, let's go down uh, memory lane one more time with you. Uh, these guys... Uh, collectively look like they can't believe what's happened to them in terms of Isaiah dropping into their squad. And (laughs) they also look a little bit nervous that he might get re-signed if none of their other plans work out. It's incredible. You pointed it out last week and, uh, and I've noticed it in every Lakers game I've watched since like they're basically every time out, he'll pull someone aside and have like a 30 second lecture. And then the peak was Wednesday night against the Warriors when he tried to do it. With, I don't know what happened with Julius Randle, but clearly Isaiah like crossed the line and Julius Randle looked like he was ready to murder him. And it was really wonderful. It's all part of the magic with this year's Lakers season. I mean, like, honestly, five months ago, Julius Randle was wearing a, a sweatshirt that said, pay me and, and like looked openly miserable on that team and somehow they've made it all work i mean with the lavar stuff with brooke like remember when brooke lopez was crying on the bench but they've just like just hung around and and now they're one they're almost legitimately good i wouldn't quite put them in that category yet but they're pretty good no and they're a great watch i mean they're they're because they're one of the teams that's not tanking because they have no motivation to Mm -hmm. so 
they're trying every night, you know, even against the Warriors. Like the Warriors were, you know, missing three of their four stars. So it's, you don't ex- anticipate that's going to be a really watchable game, but it totally was because the Lakers are going hard basically every night. It's nice to see. And, you know, so many other teams around the league just aren't that if you're desperate, if you're jonesing for NBA ball during this tournament time, you know, what, the Lakers should be basically appointment viewing. Yeah, they're great. Um, the only other nomination that I thought about was, uh, the Sixers, but I feel like you're you're almost two years late on the Sixers, and also this all Sixers and that whole online community is so insular and insane that I feel like it would just be too weird to to try and jump in as an outsider at this point in the process. But uh, they're certainly a team that has a lot of room to grow over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, if you're not like flying six thousand miles for a live podcast by one of their guys, then you know, like, are you a real fan at this point? Yeah, you can't you know, really like, halfway commit to the Sixers at this point. Yeah, and what was really interesting about this exercise, though, is how quickly we could eliminate so many of these franchises. Like, would you ever? And this was funny too. Like, imagine yourself trying to recommend being a fan of some of these teams to like just a random European person who wants to know. It's like Andrew, like sell me on the Hawks, like sell me on the Magic, you know, <laughs> sell me on the Knicks or the Bulls, like right now, sell me on the Sacramento Kings, or imagine trying to sell somebody on you know the Suns. It's like, how deep into the car salesman game would you have to go to be even able to mount? an argument for some of those franchises. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's uh, it's tough. It's tough, but we should move on. We, we got a question about Scott Brooks's in-game coaching, but I, we addressed that earlier. I do. I do love how a wizards fan sends in a question about Scott Brooks at least once every two weeks, we get the same, the same question and just know that I'm reading and nodding every single time. Is he is great at developing young young talent, but uh, a lot of a lot of tough lineup management issues for Scott Brooks, um, and and also he doesn't have much to work with, which speaks to the front office. But enough Wizards, let's move on. We've we've got to talk about the worst takes of the year because I wrote about that earlier. But before we do, it's time for our favorite part of the podcast. Let's talk about mattresses, Ben. Everybody out there, you probably need a new mattress, so let us tell you about Mattress Firm. Everyone knows how important stretching is before a big game, uh, but Mattress Firm is here to stretch your dollar. The argument is simple. Your bed budget can go further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true slam dunk. Mattress Firm is the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, Andrew, they're more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite 3 and D wing. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening right now. Mattressfirm.com slash podcast right now. They even offer you a 120 night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120 night low price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch like Sadoransky and Jody Meeks. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Hey, Andrew, I need to do a special shout out about this Mattress Firm uh, ad to our friend in, uh, Gavin in Canada. Uh-huh. Now, I recently heard this story about Gavin's girlfriend, and she's internet famous, so I'm not going to put her on blast. 
But essentially what happened was Gavin's girlfriend uh, told Gavin that she was going to buy a cover-up, which I guess is like uh, makeup, you know, concealer. And, you know, personally, I don't believe in concealer. I think, you know, flaws are really just beauty marks in disguise or or by another name. But (laughs) regardless, when she said she was going to buy the cover-up, Gavin instantly replied, uh, to that by making a joke about three and D wings from our mattress firm <laughs> copy, Andrew. To me, that is true love. And I'm sure you've seen that uh, meme online, like find you a man that will do whatever. I'm here to say, Andrew, find you a man who will romantically quote our, our mattress firm ads back to you. That is what you need in your life. Did his girlfriend stay with him through this? Because if if my significant other made a deep cut reference to a an ad read on my favorite basketball podcast, I don't know. I don't know how I would respond. Not only did she stay with him, she proposed marriage to him on the spot. Andrew, <laughs> I'm happy to announce. No, that didn't happen. But the rest of that story was 100% factually true, and I'm so proud that we've got Open Floor Globe members who are listening through all of these ad reads. We appreciate you. Now go buy a mattress, exactly. all right? Exactly. Go buy a mattress and hope that your significant other ignores red flags. Um, but listen, uh, it, it's time to talk takes, okay? Because I hit you up earlier in the week. I was working on a column, the 13 worst takes of the NBA season. And we had a lot of different nominations from you, Rob Mahoney, uh, Jeremy Wu, Rohan, like the, a lot of SI staffers wrote in. And um, I don't know, should we go through them one by one? Or were there any? Well, no, hold on. Slow down, slow down. Before we go through them, I just have a, a, a thought to offer. Authority is so important in quality writing, Andrew. It's something that I always tell people when they ask me, like, you know, what should I do trying to get into the biz? I always say, become an authority on something, be the expert so that we'll trust you. And you look around, like Maggie Haberman, like her Trump reporting, she's in the White House. When she writes about the Trump White House, it feels like you're right there. David Halberstam, I mean, he was like the voice of God. No matter what subject it was, it could be war, presidents, the NBA. (laughs) David. David Halberstam had the authority. Andrew, I have never read one of your columns where I felt like you spoke with more authority straight to my soul (laughs) than your worst takes of the year column. This is your lane. It really, you know what? I I, won't even argue with you. It absolutely is my lane as someone who who gets a lot of shots up, all right? Some of them land, some of them don't. Um, I will say... I was very nice about not including Chris Middleton over DeMar DeRozan in my worst takes column. Uh, I definitely thought about it, but um, I feel like we've been down that road too many times. So I did start with the the problem with the Rockets is, is that there's only one ball for Chris Paul and James Harden. And this is something that was pretty stupid at the time and now looks like one of the dumber things that has been said like in in basketball discourse over the last couple years uh but it it really has not aged well 
Yeah, and just to clarify slightly, because I realized that one didn't quite come off like I had hoped, I wasn't saying that you're the master of the worst take. I just think you're the most qualified person to judge the worst takes. Like, you have the most passion about, like, ranking these. Like, if we had to do a top 100 worst takes, you would create a spreadsheet and pour over all of them, giving them different points and whatever, to the same level that, you know, other people might rank NBA players. I wasn't trying to say you're, like, the dumbest person well, on the internet. Listen, the anyway. I, I am the dumbest person on the internet sometimes, so it's all in the game, but you're right. I've been in this world uh, for probably too long, and so I'm, I'm in deep in terms of the take economy, uh, and yeah. Well, here, so- I, I, I want to I just beef with your column, though, because you included a lot of really bad takes, but to me, the single worst take of the entire year was Hoodie Mellow, wasn't it? I mean- <laughs> Do you remember the excitement around Hoodie Mello? The guy makes like four straight shots and we don't even know if they were consecutive shots based on how the video footage was cut up in some random scrimmage game and he happens to be wearing a hoodie. That winds up becoming his identity for a solid six months and then he turns out that, no, he's actually just, you know, a shell of him, his former self and a major reason why, you know, Oklahoma City's not going to be a contender and, and a trade that, you know, winds up looking a lot worse in hindsight. Now his contract stuck on their books. What are they going to do? The concept of Hoodie Mello coming to save Russ, I think, was right up near the top of the all-time worst takes of so, 2017-18. I wrote about this in the column. That's w- one of the more entertaining subplots of the OKC season for me has been watching these Thunder games and watching Melo and watching him move and, and not move the ball and, and get like destroyed on defense, particularly in that OKC game. I mean, he was getting targeted, or the particularly in that Houston game, he was getting targeted over and over again. But I, I can't help watching that and thinking back to like July and August when the Rockets were really, really close on adding Melo. And then... The one ball thing might have mattered more if they had added Mello and then felt obligated to start him and play him 30 minutes a game. Uh, and you, like, I just have no idea how this Houston season would have played out with him in place because it, it's entirely possible that in D'Antoni's system playing the four uh, next to Harden and Chris Paul, like he might look better. Um, but it's also not out of the question that Mello single-handedly ruins that Rocket season. I mean, he makes their whole defensive scheme where they're switching and they're being really aggressive and all that. He makes that a hundred times harder. Uh, so they, their record would be worse with Melo to me, no question about it, regardless of whether he looks better on offense. I mean, they just, I think they'd, they'd be coming back to earth. I doubt they would be the West one seed. Um, in terms of, you know, the Chris Paul, James Harden, one ball thing, uh, how long did it take for people to come around on that? Basically like 10 games with Chris Paul. I mean, that one was like dead in the water very quick, wasn't it? Well, it was tricky because Chris Paul got hurt pretty early. So it took a little while before everyone realized just how dominant those two were going to be together. But, uh, but again, it never really made sense because like all the best teams in the league now stagger their lineups. And this is another thing that Scott Brooks doesn't do, but like the idea that, Chris Paul and James Harden were going to be on the floor. One of them was going to be on the floor for 48 minutes. Uh, like that alone was reason enough to do it. And then also Chris Paul and James Harden are both really good shooters, which is ultimately what makes them so dangerous. And, uh, and, and why like concern about moving one of them off the ball was always pretty overblown. It would be one thing if it was like 
John Wall and James Harden. But it's it, like CP3 can can hit mid range jumpers. He can spot up for three. Like it, it was always going to work. Yeah, I feel like when we're looking at these worst takes, the ones that have the longest staying power should maybe get preference. So like one of them that jumped out to me was like the road to the finals goes through Boston. Like <laughs> I feel like that take, <laughs> like there's probably people who still think that despite all the Celtics recent injury issues and despite Toronto's, you know, strong, just consistent, like steady as she goes performance here. And that seems like it's kind of one of those takes that, hasn't died or maybe is dying way too slow of a death, even though it never should have previously existed once Hayward went down. So should we give some of these takes like bonus points or extra credit for just like their staying power? Yeah. Well, and we also get credit for never taking the Celtics that seriously, even at the height of like Celtics triumphalism, like the, uh, the night that they beat the Warriors, you and I had stayed up at, to record at like midnight after that game. And I think both you and I came on and we're just like, all right, like let's not get carried away. The Celtics are not that good and should not be taken that seriously, uh, which was for a, a hot second there was not very popular to say. Yeah, by the time the podcast came out, they had already drawn up the championship parade plans through downtown Boston, you know, by the famous old <laughs> totally. cemeteries. There was the it was the Freedom Trail all over again, totally. right? They were, they were going to just walk the Larry O'Brien Trophy people, right down the Freedom Trail. People were writing about the the Warriors being like the, the like the Warriors visited Boston. There's a good chance they'll be back here in June. It's just like I, I don't know, man. Um, I wouldn't bet on it, but. Uh, the, a couple of the other ones that stuck out as I went back through everything, the Sixers over under, I was particularly vocal about like telling everybody who listened to the podcast. I think we talked about it a couple different times in the preseason, like bet everything you have on the Sixers going under 42 and a half wins. And it was eventually bet down to 40, but even that I thought was completely ridiculous. And, uh, that, I mean, I think part of it was nobody expected Joel Embiid to stay healthy. Part of it was no one expected Ben Simmons to be this good. Um, and I also think, like, I kind of expected Markel Fultz to be a functional basketball player. And I also I, I thought that part of that would mean that he's playing, like, 25 or 30 minutes a game and making a lot of the rookie mistakes that you typically see from, like, 19-year-olds. But... They've they've avoided all of that and made not only me, but like most smart basketball people look pretty stupid. Yeah, look, you already apologized for that one. Well, let's not belabor it. I would say that those other issues you mentioned are, you know, it's always good to list lots of reasons, but there's one reason why they're going to beat this and it's Joel Embiid. You know, I mean, when the guy's been on the court, not only this year, but last year, you know, their point differential, their their record when he was in games suggested they were way better than a 500 team. He's played almost the whole season, and, and most people didn't expect that. And guess what? They're significantly better than a 500 team. So, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. I don't want to diminish what Ben Simmons has done. I think he should be the rookie of the year still, even though I've been catching some flack from emailers for that. Uh, you know, the, the Fultz saga and all the other things, you know, positive and negative around that team, whatever the reason why they're going to get over 41 is because of Embiid and he deserves that credit, you know, by and large, he's the reason. Yeah. The one other thing then that jumped out at me is in the immediate aftermath of the Blake Griffin trade, there were a lot of people who were talking themselves into that Pistons team being like sneaky fun down the stretch and Blake going from West to East. And like, 
basically as not not necessarily as like a real factor in the east but they would be kind of like a fun dark horse to to track and it is shocking how quickly it's gone bad in detroit like watching i watched part of that pistons jazz game the other night where they were almost immediately down 20 points and and blake looked like he he wanted to be literally anywhere else in the world other than playing defense for the pistons and uh it's it's all kind of incredible yeah, I'm going to call myself out. I did not fall victim to that trap of getting excited about the Pistons, but what I did fall victim to, Andrew, uh, after the Blake Griffin trade was generic concern. And you know, I've explained the whole generic praise thing previously mm-hmm. and how it's a scourge of NBA media. You know, everyone just, you know, just patting each other on the back and saying, great job. Generic concern is one of my biggest problems, and I do it on purpose because I'm trying to rein myself in because I think my default setting is just like 20% too amped up. (laughs) But after that trade, I was making just sort of uh, muddy statements along the lines of like, boy, uh, I wonder how Blake is going to do once the reality of the Piston situation sets in and once he's no longer in Los Angeles and once he realizes he didn't have any control of his future. You know, it's I'm not totally sure he's going to be able to like, you know, stay motivated after this initial burst of trying to prove people wrong you yeah. know, and, and trying to carry a team that doesn't have much of a future into the playoffs in Detroit. And, uh, you know, I was saying things like that. What I needed to say was this is a classic case where a superstar or a former superstar, you know, potentially in Blake Griffin's case, depending on how the rest of his career goes, could completely check out <laughs> down the stretch. I mean, his mind could be in Cancun very easily. <laughs> That's what I should have stayed after the trade deadline. I didn't. And so for that reason, I'm going to nominate myself for the worst, uh, not the worst take, but uh, the worst uh, half measure because I nailed it. I just didn't really come out and say it forcefully. Yeah, and we can't really blame Blake, honestly. It, he's been dealt kind of a, a tough hand on that one. Um, and cl- to be clear, though, the worst take of the year was unquestionably LeVar Ball coming out and questioning Luke Walton and whether he'd lost the Lakers locker room and the Lakers promptly turn around and turn into like the the best second half story of the season. But moving on to the West Coast here, Ben says, as a Blazers fan, I would like to thank you for your takes on Damian Lillard's all-star legitimacy that may look kind of ridiculous in hindsight. Since you're since you questioned whether he belonged in the All Star game and made fun of him for begging his way in, Dame has been averaging thirty four and six on forty six percent shooting and forty percent from three, and the Blazers are fifteen and four, which has propelled them into third place in the West. Instead of April vacation in Cancun, Portland should get home court advantage and have a very good shot at winning a playoff series for the first time since Lillard turned Chandler Parsons into modern day Craig Elo. What do you think? Did we do it? I mean, I'm I'm glad we could be the personal vo- motivational gurus for half of the inconsistent superstars in the league. You know, it's <laughs> it's something that I wear as a badge of honor. Anytime I'm getting credit, I'll take it. Um, I would just say this: Look, if Lillard played like he has over the last month he would be on my all-star ballot. If Paul George had shot like he has over the last like month and a half, he would not have probably been on my all-star ballot because uh, you know guys tend to even out over the course of the season. And there's no doubt when you look at all-star voting and filling out the ballots and you know you have to have a set criteria. And the criteria that I use is start of the season till when my ballots do. That's all that I look at. And that's going to favor front, you know, guys who are front-loaded in terms of when they're playing their best basketball. And it's going to 
you know, count against guys who tend to come on strong as the season goes along, which has been a, a familiar theme for Lillard here over these last few years. What I would love to see is the NBA basically instruct media voters because, you know, you can't control what fans are going to do. They're just retweeting and liking to their heart's content, and the players are just going to vote for their buddies, so whatever. But you can have a little bit of influence over the media vote for All-Star. What I would like to see the NBA do is instruct all media members, look, your All-Star ballots should take into account performance from the previous year after the All-Star break, you know, basically through to, uh, you know, the, the time the ballot is uh, due. So it's be almost a year's worth of data. Yeah. That way, when you have guys who are consistently performing well down the stretch of seasons, they could get credit for that uh, the following year. And it maybe would be more reflective of, you know, a player's overall ability rather than just sort of who got hot at the right time uh, for the first couple months of the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we need to get that deep as far as all-star voting is concerned, but I think my 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 first reaction to this is that we have heard from a, a number of Blazers fans who are really feeling themselves lately, and uh, and I'm really happy for them because Blazers fans deserve it. I I am a little concerned though that this is all setting up for like one of the more frustrating playoff letdowns of in in recent Portland history because I still don't love that team and it's it's not a great sign that they need Lillard to be this incredible every night to keep winning this way um yeah I mean I think they're I mean we played this game over and over I mean they've got a shot to win a series there's no question now if you're saying second round series if it's gold state versus Portland uh, you know, two, three, how's that going to go for the Blazers? Not well. And I noticed that a lot of the chest thumping from Portland and, and their fans, which is, you know, that's just how you know, Blazers fans are. And I respect them and uh, any other fan base that gets behind their team on good seasons, you know, that's fine. But notice none of that chest thumping has anything to do of, oh, we're going to beat Golden State in the second round. Nobody's making claims like that, you know? So, so like they're at least being realistic to a certain degree. And you know, if your championship is winning a first round series, then, you know, good luck. You've, you've got a pretty shot, good shot to do that. If you're hoping during your best player's prime and during another guy like CJ McCollum's prime to make a truly deep playoff run, I still don't see it. So let me ask you this then. Our next question is from Chong in Sydney, and he wants to know whether the Spurs are going to miss the playoffs and why the basketball commentariat, as he called it, keeps talking about them as if they have a chance at making the playoffs and, and, and are likely to do it. I want to know two things. One, have the last two weeks of the Spurs, I believe they're like 3-11 and 11 in their last, in their most recent stretch, has that changed how you feel about like the, the playoff outlook for them? And if it were Spurs, even the ghost ship version of the Spurs that we've been dealing with, if it were San Antonio-Portland, who would you take in that series? Well, first of all, it's not the way they've played that's changed my opinion. It's Kawhi Leonard's continued absence, you know, because yeah. we're operating under the assumption during the All-Star break of like, look, you know, he, he'll probably come back or hopefully will come back fairly soon. Then we get all these reports that he's going to come back on this date or this date or this date. The more it slides, uh, the more obvious it is that, you know, th their tough schedule plus their just limited offensive ability is going to bite them. And uh, there's no way around it. I mean, we got to give credit to our emailer who first pointed this out like a month ago, whoever that guy was or, or a woman was, you know, congratulations, you did nail it. We kind of scoffed at it at the time. And I think Chong pointed out in his email, and he was dead right, is that a lot of the Spurs analysis has just made assumptions about Kawhi Leonard getting back on the court to save the day. 
And we're still, as we were taped this on Thursday night, I mean, he's not going to play against the Pelicans on Thursday, which some people had circled last weekend as a possible return date. He's still not back on the court. And if Superman never shows up, then yes, we have every reason to believe that they could fall out, you know, unless they get help from, you know, a team like the Clippers or, uh, you know, potentially the Nuggets, you know, both those teams falling out, maybe they still sneak in. Unless Kawhi's back fully up to speed, I don't see them winning a playoff series against Houston in the first round. I don't see them ever in a second round series. And if it was, you know, go ship Spurs versus Blazers uh, in the second round somehow, which I don't know how that would happen because I think Houston's significantly better than Portland, um, you know, or, or Golden State, I guess, in this scenario would be better than Portland. Uh, and I just don't, you know, see really any scenario where the Spurs are the ones who are ruining people's nightmare, or ruining, ruining people's dream seasons, unless it's Kawhi who's doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think for playoff fan fiction purposes, it's important to keep pretending that Kawhi is going to come back at 100%. But uh, the emailer here is is correct in, in pointing out that, like, even if he does come back, we're going to be getting, like, Kawhi at, at maybe, like, 70% for most of the time. Um, so I understand sort of shorting Spurs stock down the stretch here. I don't know though. I just I, I have a hard time believing that they're not going to find their way to make it make it in. In part because teams like the Nuggets have like fallen uh, back over the last couple weeks and have, have tripped over their own feet a little bit. And then like I I don't see I if I had to predict it right now, it would be the the Nugget the Nuggets and the Clippers missing the playoffs. And then in a playoff series, Pop would still scare the shit out of me if I were anyone but Houston and Golden State. So, like, if it if it were San Antonio, Portland, I I would still look at that as something like a toss up. Yeah, I mean, they got to get there first. That's that's kind of my point. Yeah, and you know, if they're sneaking in, they're they're sneaking in as the seven or eight. You know, if you're trying to boost them up and saying they're going to be like in a three six against Portland in the first round, you know that you know maybe I could kind of see that, but otherwise, I think we're just making up scenarios here. We're, we're straying too far from reality. Okay. <laughs> Keep it reality-based. I like it. Um, all right. One more question before the podium. Ross says, if you had to delete a team and their history, which one would it be? I selected the Brooklyn Nets. Aside from the ABA Nets, there was nothing screaming save me about this team. They have one finals trip, no MVP winners, and years and years of awful teams. I enjoyed the early 90s with Petrovich and Derek Coleman, but even that wasn't enough. Ben might pick the Suns, Ross is a Suns fan, but at least we have our picks, even if we squander them. I couldn't delete the grit and grind Grizzlies because they were fun, and the Magic had Shaq and Penny, and I couldn't wipe that out, no matter how inconsequential they are now. Same with the Kings, with Chris Webber and Vladi Divac, because that was my favorite team of all time. This is a good question. Basically what he's asking is, like, take the men in black zapper thing and just pretend that an entire franchise's history never happened and it's it's tough because the suns right now are putrid but you can't wipe out like the barkley teams with kevin johnson the steve nash teams probably saved the suns all by themselves the nets are a pretty good nomination what do you think well there is a pretty obvious answer here and it's sort of a technicality but once the pelicans gave the charlotte hornets original charlotte hornets history back to charlotte because they did that a couple of years ago yeah. the answer became the pelicans cuz now the pelicans history is only like what 10 years or you know 14 years or something like that and then during that time period they've really had very little postseason success you had kind of the uh you know the, the Davis years, and you've got Davis himself, <laughs> who'd be very you know, tough to zap. The that's the extent of their playoff history. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it'd be tough to zap Anthony Davis off the face of the planet. But I mean, in terms of like minimizing the damage on the overall league, because look, frankly, Andrew, it's a mean-spirited question. I'm not trying to zap <laughs> any fan base or any organization whatsoever, not even the Nets, not even the lowly, putrid Suns. So my answer would be a technicality of trying to do the least amount of damage to the overall league and its history. That's why I would pick the Pelicans and their limited history. Okay, yeah, that's definitely the least controversial answer you could offer here. Um I don't know. The team, I've thought about this in the past too. And it's proof that we've been in the, the blogging space for too long because all these hypotheticals are familiar. But the team that I would choose is probably the Atlanta Hawks. I feel like they have been inconsequential for like 95% of their history. And it would involve deleting Dominique Wilkins, which is tough. And I feel bad about it. But. If we if we deleted the Hawks and brought the Sonics back to life, I think it would be a net positive. And really, we're we're strictly sacrificing Dominique Wilkins. Nobody is going to miss the Joe Johnson, Josh Smith Hawks, and let alone like the Player of the Month Hawks from uh, a couple years ago with Paul Millsap and and Al Horford. I think we'd be okay. Yeah, that was one of the all-time like strains of NBA commentary was trying to get excited about those 2015 Hawks. <laughs> Boy, people were people were really working hard time. to uh, pump those guys up. Hey, I enjoyed them as well, but like to really generate excitement or you know gin up a major conversation about these guys as being like evolutionary and all that was you know a lot of heavy. You lifting. know why the, those Hawks were useful though is because they they are now a reference point that I use to analyze every single season because there's always one team, one or two teams that like basketball writers and basketball nerds are a little bit too in love with and as they ignore the bigger picture and like a, a pretty hard ceiling. And uh, I it, so basically every year I go through and, and look like, who's this year's Hawks? I think it might be the Pacers, um, even though... I said nice things about them earlier this week, but just the the team that everyone kind of generically praises, even though like long term, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, no question. And you do reference a lot of teams. I think you've compared like six or seven different teams this year to the Hawks. You know, probably got the Celtics in there early. Now it's the Pacers. You know, for sure. Anytime you want to throw that out, I'm with it. All right. Well, podium here. Um, yeah. Goodbye, Hawks. We just deleted you. Um, Podium is uh, begins with Mike in L.A. He says, look, the state fair is fine in my beloved Minnesota, but it trails the fantastic education, health care and cost of living. Extremely nice people and our progressive outlook, all identifying factors of, of the state. And of course, our greatest feature is our amazing lakes led by Lake Minnetonka. Sure, that only applies from April and May to late September but the anticipation of lake season makes one appreciate it even more. Um, and we've, we've now, talked plenty Andrew, about... Look, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, this is not just Mike in LA. This is Mike Trudell, Lakers uh, sideline reporter who does a phenomenal job covering the Lakers. Uh, that's how I knew we got into deep water, though. I mean, when we were getting like taking pot shots and you know defensive... Uh, uh, you know, arguments from high profile NBA figures about our attacks on the Minnesota State Fair. That's how I knew we had crossed the line uh, too far. So look, we're standing down, Andrew. I think we're going to just seed the argument. Minnesota is actually 
the United States' second best state. Yeah, not for all the reasons that Mike Trudell mentioned. There's no question. We need to walk it back as far as our Minnesota criticism is concerned. I also think that this all ends with us doing a podcast in Minnesota at some point. I, I will go this summer. I don't have that much going on, and I've heard Minnesota is delightful in the summer. And the last thing I'll say is it speaks volumes about how great Minnesota is, that this is someone who lives in Los Angeles singing the praises of Minnesota. Granted, Mike is working all winter and is not has, has no reason to go back to Minnesota, so he's really only experiencing his home state in the summer at this point in his life. But still, I appreciate it. I look at you trying to nitpick and get another round of angry emails. I love it. Good job. Uh, <laughs> pointing out the snowfall again. I hear you. Hey, one reason though, uh-huh. to go to Minnesota in all seriousness, the Mall of America has a huge Lego store. It's pretty amazing. Yes, I mean, yes. we're talking like two-story two uh, high uh, you know, Lego uh, building block structures uh, of various uh, you know, Disney characters and so forth. It's impressive. So you know, we maybe could do a live show from there if we got like 10 times more famous than we are currently. Perfect. That's that's where we'll do it. Uh, next question is from Adam, who says, you are trapped on a desert island with one NBA player. Who do you think is the one that can help you build a life raft to get off the island? I'll take Jeremy Lin, Harvard educated, and he's also not tall enough, so we wouldn't need to chop down a whole forest to make a suitable raft. What do you think? Look, he's looking at this all wrong, okay? It's not about who's going to make the raft or actually constructing the raft. The bottom line is you have the rest of your life to make a raft, okay? You're going to make a raft eventually. It's more about who do you want to spend that time with. And my thought was Vince Carter or Manu Ginobili because it's sort of like who would you want to podcast with regularly? Who's going to have enough good stories to keep you interested? Uh, Who's going to, you know, basically not get boring or talk too much like a Jason Terry. I mean, he's almost as old, you know, he's as old as the other guys, but at some point you're going to be like jet. We're on an Island, you know, just, you don't need to trash talk me 23 hours a day. I get it. Let's just (laughs) sleep right now. Uh, Let's go to our separate sides. And so to me, you know, Vince Carter, I mean, he's going to have a million stories from Carolina plus, you know, his whole tenure in Toronto, the Jordan comparisons. I mean, he's going to be able to keep you entertained for as long as it takes to make the life raft. And then Manu is basically as wise as it gets. And we know he's like real deep into podcasts and he reads all the time. So he is going to have a lot of free time that he is, you know, not used to having. So he's going to be more conversational and friendly. I think you're going to be learning a lot from those two guys. And, you know, eventually the raft will just kind of build itself. Honestly, that is a much better answer than I would have expected from you. Vince Carter is, I mean, that would be awesome. I would love to hang out on an island with Vince Carter while we build a raft together and talk about Carolina history. Um, I'm in. That's what I'm saying. My So my answer to this, I, I didn't really have an answer, so I'm going with Vince Carter. I'm stealing your idea. Uh, but I did, I was thinking about this scenario and was thinking through like the worst possible people to be trapped with. And I think the answer is probably Russell Westbrook, right? Because he would be miserable to try to like work together with and would just would be kind of intimidating also. And the whole thing would be a little bit uncomfortable. There's a good chance you're just waking up like one day after two or three weeks and he's already got his wrap done. And he's <laughs> exactly. <just> out. <laughs> he's waving to you from the middle you're of the ocean. <laughs> exactly. Like, see you later, sucker. Yeah, I could see that easily. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, if yeah, so many, like the small ball evolution has really worked out a lot of the other worst candidates for guys who you wouldn't want to be in this scenario with, you know, the guys who are pushing 400 pounds and are weighing down the life raft no matter what you do. Yeah. Um, a lot of those guys are no longer in the league. So, uh, yeah, I think you're looking at the guy with high usage rate and blinders on. Those are the guys you want to avoid in this scenario. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul is another possibility as both the best person to be stuck with because he's super competent and I think would be pretty good uh at at figuring it out and like in a surviving the apocalypse I feel like Chris Paul could survive longer than most anyone in the NBA but he could also turn on you really quickly and uh it could get pretty dark so I I I wouldn't take an underrated an underrated can't an underrated candidate, though, from you know recent NBA history would be Boris Diaw, and you'd think, no way, you know, Boris, he always had to lose fifty pounds, but didn't he like own a boat and live on it for multiple months per year, like you know during the summers, and then his whole plan after he retired was just going to be to like sail his boat around, basically like full time. Definitely, <laughs> you want to have a guy with that level of knowledge because you know a raft is one thing, but if he's building you a full sailboat, you know that's going to be a way better trip back to civilization, and uh, you know I don't think very many NBA guys have that skill set. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's how Boris spent most off seasons and it it showed when he when he would show up for the NBA season, <laughs> but he spent most of his time on islands and taking photographs and that's why he's the best. Um but uh two two criticisms from Trey, okay? First, he says, "I have a bone to pick. Ben is lying to the audience about his lack of pop culture knowledge. He used the word stupefy two times within 30 seconds, describing Donovan Mitchell's prowess. Any Harry Potter nerd knows that stupefy is a spell to knock someone unconscious or temporarily paralyze them. So I think that here, stupefy is, is just a regular word though, right? That's not a Harry Potter spell. I mean, that's a SAT, you know, writing word. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't give myself like 10 points. If you played it in Scrabble, I don't think you'd be stupefying people. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, that's that's a good play. You get 50 bonus points. Look, Andrew, how long have you known me? I'm a reality-based person, yeah. right? Do you think I know anything about Harry Potter at all? Do you think the extent of my Harry Potter knowledge, would you say it is... Anything past seeing J.K. Rowling's, you know, anti-Trump tweets and, you know, an occasional Hogwarts reference that I pretend to kind of laugh along with. I mean, do you think I have any interest whatsoever in a made-up <clears throat> universe about a little boy and magic? Why would I care? Uh, so here, we need to be careful here because keep in mind, Ben, that you are a grown man who is pretty deep into the Lego game. So I think all, <laughs> all bets are off as far as... Uh, childhood like fantasy stuff um i think no i actually you would definitely hate harry potter i really like harry potter i'm not typically into like the that fantasy genre and my wife tried to make me watch lord of the rings a couple weeks ago and i just it came off as like a shittier version of harry potter but harry potter is awesome and i think you should give it a chance next time you're building a lego throw on harry potter in the background like I came on here prepared to make a lot of like shady comments towards Harry Potter, but what you just said about J.R.R. Tolkien is going to get you so much hate mail that I can't even comp- <laughs> like negatively comparing the, the classics that people regard as some of like the best works of literature, you know, to 
Harry Potter is going to get you some real heat Let me tell at openfloormail at gmail.com. I cannot wait to read the, the Lord of the Rings and Bilbo Baggins fanboys coming after you. Yeah, well, my wife was disgusted with me as well. So um, the next the next complaint from Trey was that I heard Andrew say GIF on the podcast the other day, and I just wanted to tell you guys that GIF stands for Graphic Interchange Format. Therefore, it is pronounced with a hard G like graphic not with a g that you pronounce like the j in jiffy lube common mishap with a lot of people people i'm a teacher and my high school students are very passionate about this i just want to say that this made me nostalgic because this used to be like before the internet was engulfed with like white supremacists and like daily avalanches of like miserable news uh the gif debate was was a frequent one on Twitter and I hadn't heard anybody debate it one way or the other for like several years, but I am sticking with GIF on this one. No question about it. You are a hundred percent right. I believe they actually interviewed the founder of GIFs and he told everyone that it was GIFs, which everyone who pronounces it GIF will try to come up with some story about why the founder doesn't know what his own <laughs> thing should be called. Sorry, you guys are wrong. The other thing is I love that anyone would think that we would change our minds based off what high school students have to say. I mean, that like if anyone's been like kind of mockingly condescending to millennials for two straight years, it's been the two of us. But I will say this, high school students might be the, the saviors of all of us. If we were watching what's happening in Florida recently, like they're pretty much, they should win time person of the year for 2018. I think it's already done uh, what they're doing down there campaigning. And so even though Trey's high school students are wrong in this case, <laughs> the fact that he cited them as an adult being willing to say, look, like, you know, these high school kids know what's up, yeah. uh, opened my mind to a degree that it wouldn't have even, you know, two months ago. And so from that standpoint, uh, salute to Trey, but you're dead. Yeah, right. and salute to the students. Wrong on GIF, but really our only hope for a brighter future. So please keep it going. Um, but, uh, and then the, the, we had two more things. One, I want to... Did you fill out a bracket just just out of curiosity? I did, Andrew. And look, you know, last year I picked the NCAA title game winner correctly. You remember that because it was UNC and you were really excited that I nailed uh -huh. it for you. And then I also picked the draft lottery order one, two, three completely correctly. I'm sure you remember that because I probably reminded you of it about six times after it happened. So what that means, though, is that my bracket's guaranteed to be trash this year, 100%. There's no <laughs> chance I'm going to be able to repeat that performance for two years in a row. So what I did is I just picked Michigan to win it all because I figured, look, you know, why not? I, I'm playing with house money here. I'm guaranteed to lose. So I'm just going to pick uh, my Wolverines, even though I don't really follow college basketball. I, I care about the football team, not the basketball team. They're going to do it. They're going to win it all. And as we're talking right now, they're probably going to lose their open, opening <laughs> round game. So <laughs> good for me. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I, I'm really proud of you for filling out a bracket. I, I figured that you would be too pretentious to do that. Um, I'm, and I'm curious as to whether you'll even watch most of this tournament. But I'm, I'm proud of you for getting involved. And I came close this year because I, I don't know anything about college basketball. And, and it's mostly your fault and, and the, this podcast that has monopolized my, my time and as far as watching the NBA. Um, but I did it out of tradition. And uh, my picks for the Final Four were Villanova, UVA, uh, Michigan State, and I can't even remember the last one. But I've got Michigan State winning it all. So we're... At, at odds Whoa. as ever. 
That is kind of creepy and hilarious. Can't wait to see the green and white go down in flames. That will make it so much better when that happens. Uh, yeah, but look, betting against Izzo uh, is always a bad they idea. Also, so they've I, got I a lot of talent. I'm not sure why they aren't better. This is why it's important to watch college basketball before you make your picks. But like Cassius Winston is pretty great. Nick Ward. And then you got Jaron Jackson Jr. and Miles Bridges. Like They're going to be a problem. And really all I care about is that Duke loses. Yeah, they've got a lot of talent for a team that lost to Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> that was me trying to make a college basketball reference really forced, but I think it's actually true. Um, no, it's go blue. All, all right. Well, last question. Brandon says, I pretty pretty regularly email you guys because I love your thoughts and I like to feel like I'm sometimes part of the greatness that is open floor. I'm not narcissistic enough to believe all my questions will be answered, but I do wonder what your criteria is for a good on-air question. How many emails do you guys receive on a weekly basis? Um, so I'll answer to, to begin with. I generally am in charge of selecting questions and it's usually kind of chaotic the morning of I'll throw together some, whatever sort of catches my eye. Uh, and it's gotten harder though, because we do receive close to like a hundred emails, um, every week and so it's easy to to lose track so please nobody take it personally if you're not included yeah what i'd say is first of all andrew fact check surprise surprise we're well over 100 per week it's not even close i've been tracking this you know much more carefully than you have i don't have a (laughs) i don't have a spreadsheet on it but we're way over 100 i try to read every single one start to finish so people if we don't read them on the air just realize we are uh, comprehending what you're writing um there's three types of emails that I love to receive, Andrew. The first one is when people tell us that we're their favorite podcast. None of this, like you're one of my favorite. When people say we're their favorite, it really means a lot to me. I got a nice message from uh, someone named Sierra today on Instagram. She said that made my whole day. It's not like we have the hardest job in the world, Andrew, but uh, we like recognition and validation for the time that we do put into this. And so that's always nice to hear. The second type I like is when people... Uh, look, they know way too much about us, Andrew. I mean, we're probably oversharing on this podcast, at least I am. Uh, And over the course of a year of listening to someone, you kind of get to know what they like and dislike and so forth. So when people will send me recommendations about a place I should go or a place I should eat, that doesn't usually happen because everyone knows I have terrible taste in food. But, you know, parks I should visit, uh, you know, a book I might like, an event I might want to go to. It's amazing how often our podcast listeners recommend something to me that I am totally enthusiastic about and that I actually want to hear about. And I love those emails. Often they don't get read on the air, but please keep those coming. The third type though, the ones that we do read, Andrew, we're looking for originality. We don't care if you're trashing us. We don't care if you're agreeing with us. If you have a new spin on something that we haven't talked about or that is not floating around there uh, in the takes universe that Andrew mentioned earlier, that's what we love. And I think that's what we end up using for a lot of our you know, fodder. I think a great example was um, you know, the Kawhi Leonard email we got today where, you know, he's basically saying, look, all these NBA analysts are wrong. You know, there's a good chance Kawhi doesn't come back at hundred percent and the Spurs are probably screwed. That is not the, the conventional take right now. And it was great that he pointed that out to us and it really got us thinking, or at least it got me thinking. So that's what we're looking for. And I think, you know, when I look at the kinds of questions you select, you almost always go for the stuff that's just slightly out of left field. It's either crazy or crazy like a fox. That's what you love. <laughs> and I think 
you know, frankly, it, that's what makes for the best uh, the best podcasting or, or the best responses from us. Yeah. The only other thing I would add is if you sincerely want to get a question read, please keep it shorter uh, because the shorter questions are much easier to include and don't require any, any editing. Um, so, and also, as you were talking, I realized that my J.K. Rowling uh, versus J.R.R. Tolkien thing is going to lead to a lot of angry emails. So pl- I'll, I preemptively apologize. You're right. <laughs> that is out of bounds and will, will, will get me lectured for the next week or so. No, it's going to be great. I can't wait. Here's what I'd say, though, too. It doesn't have to be a question either. Like, we like takes, right? I mean, sometimes it's it's not even like, hey, I, I want you guys to answer some question. You're these great experts. You know, we're two guys. We'll talk hoops with anybody, right? So if you have some passionate opinion, if you want us to settle a debate you're having with your friends, we love that stuff, too. Send it in to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And Andrew, you know what else they need to do. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy. Just search us, find our name, scroll down. It says tap to rate. Give us the five stars. We really, really appreciate it. And it helps us reach even more members of the Open Floor Globe. <laughs> All right, Andrew. I think that's it for today, that's right? It. Please tell me that's yes. it for today. I'll, All right, great. I'll talk to you next week, man. Until next week, I'll talk to you. <laughs> Peace. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.